Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com on the web. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Taryn Bragdon, the President, CEO, and Founder of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Peggy Silfan is the uh, Personal Development Coach and Productivity Strategist. We'll be talking about preparing for the holidays and 2022, as well as Michael Cannon. He is the develop, he's Director of uh, Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. It is December the 17th, and on this day in 1903, now this is amazing to me, only 122 years ago, near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, Orville and Wilbur Wright made the first successful flight in history of a propelled, uh, self-propelled, heavier-than-aircraft air aircraft on December the 17th, 1903. Orville piloted the gasoline-powered, propeller-driven biplane, which stayed aloft for 12 seconds and covered 120 feet on its inaugural flight. Orville and Wilva Wright uh, grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and developed an interest in aviation after learning of the glider flights of the German engineer Otto Lilienthal in the 1890s. Unlike their older brothers, Orville and Wilbur did not attend college, but they possessed extraordinary technical ability and sophisticated approach to solving problems in mechanical design. They built printing presses and in 1892 opened a bicycle sales and repair shop. Soon they were building their own bicycles and this experience combined with the profits from their various businesses allowed them to pursue actively their dream of building the world's first airplane. After exhaustively, exhaustively researching other engineers' efforts to build a heavier-than-air uh, controlled aircraft, the brothers uh, wrote to the U.S. Weather Bureau inquiring about a suitable place to conduct glider tests. They settled on Kitty Hawk, an isolated village on North Carolina's Outer Banks, which offered steady winds and sand dunes from which to glide and land softly. Their first glider test in 1900 performed poorly, but a new design tested in 1901 was more successful. Later that year, they built a wind tunnel where they tested nearly 200 wings and airframes of different shapes and designs. The brothers' systematic experimentation paid off. They flew hundreds of successful flights in their 1902 glider at Kill Devils Hills near Kitty Hawk. Their biplane glider uh, featured a steering system based on a movable rudder that solved the problem of control of flight. They are now ready for powered flight. In Dayton, they designed a 12-horsepower internal combustion engine with the assistance of machinist Charles Taylor and built a new aircraft to house it. They transported their aircraft to pieces in, uh, in Kitty Hawk in the autumn of 1903, assembled it, made a few further tests, and on December the 14th, he made the first attempt at power flight the engine stalled during the takeoff and the plane was damaged and they spent three days repairing it. Then at 10.35 a.m. on December the 17th, in front of five witnesses, the aircraft ran down a monorail track and into the air, staying aloft for 12 seconds and flying 120 feet. The modern aviation age, of course, then was born. Three more tests were made that day and when Ilber, uh, Wilbur and Orville 
alternately flying the airplane, Wilbur flew the last flight covering 852 feet in 59 seconds. During the next few years, the brothers uh, further developed their airplane but kept a low profile about their successes in order to secure patents and contracts for the flying machines. By 1905, the aircraft could perform complex maneuvers and remain aloft for up to 39 minutes at a time. In 1908, they traveled to France where they became heroes. Uh, the French really sub celebrated uh, these brothers for what they were able to do. They made their first public flights, arousing widespread public excitement. In 1909, the U.S. Army Corps, uh, Signal Corps purchased a specifically constructed plane, and the brothers founded the Wright Company to build and market their aircraft. Uh, Wilbur died of typhoid in 1912, and Orville lived until 1948. The historic brothers' aircraft of 1903 is in the permanent display at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. Such an interesting story. Again, what amazes me about this is so much has transpired and been developed in aviation since uh, in the last 122 years. <clears throat> You're probably aware of uh, Victor Davis Hanson, conservative commentator, classicist, and military historian. He's professor of classics emeritus at the California State University and a senior fellow at the uh, Stanford University and a fellow at Hillsdale College. Uh, he's a pretty special guy and does some really great thinking. Well, uh, he wrote a column that I found so informative. I learned a lot from it, and I just wanted to share it with you. I'll, uh, this is not the complete column, but I'll, I'll paraphrase. What's behind recent pessimism and appraisals of uh, dem democracy's future from Hillary Clinton, Adam Schiff, Brian Williams, and other elite intellectuals, media personalities, and pers politicians on the left? You may have heard Hillary Clinton say that, uh, you know, if democracy as we know it will be over if uh, Trump wins in 2024. Well, some are warning about its possible erosion in 2024. Others predict democracy's downturn as early as 2022 with scary scenarios of autocracy and Trump coups. To answer this question, understand first what is not behind these shrill forecasts. Uh, Hansen says they are not worried about 2 million foreign nationals crashing the borders in a single year without vaccinations during a pandemic, yet it seems insurrectionally for a government simply to nullify its own immigration laws. They're not worried about some 800,000 foreign nationals, some residing illegally, will now vote in New York City ele elections. Well, they're not worried either about a formal effort underway to dismantle the U.S. Constitution by junking a 233-year-old electoral college or the preeminence of the states in establishing ballot laws in national elections. And, of course, they're not worried that we are witnessing an unprecedented left-wing effort to scrap a 180-year-old filibuster, a 150-year-old nine-person Supreme Court, and a 60-year-old tradition of 50 states for naked political advantage. And they're not worried at all about the Senate this year, uh, put on the trial as an impeached ex-president and private citizen without chief justice in attendance, without a special prosecutor or witnesses, and without a formal commission report on presidential high crimes and misdemeanors. They, they're not worried about that at all. They've not worried that the FBI, Justice Department, CIA, Hillary Clinton, and members of the Obama administration systematically sought to use U.S. government agencies to sabotage a presidential campaign, transition, and presidency via the use of foreign national and ex-spy Christopher Steele and his coup of discredited Russian sources. 
And they're not worried that the Pentagon suddenly has lost the majority support of the American people. Top current and retired officers have flagrantly violated the chain of command and uniform code of military justice and without data or evidence have announced a hunt in the ranks for anyone suspected of white rage or white supremacy. And they're not worried that in 2020, a record 64% of the electorate did not cast their ballots on Election Day, nor are they worried that the usual rejection rate in most states of non-Election Day ballots plunged, even as the unprecedented 101 million ballots were cast by mail or early voting. And they're certainly not worried that the partisan billionaires of Silicon Valley poured well over $400 million in selective precincts in swing states that quote-unquote help public agencies conduct the election. What then is behind this new left-wing hysteria about the proposed looming end of democracy? Well, it's quite simple. The left, says Hansen, expects to lose power over the next two years, both because of the way it gained it, used it, and because of its radical top-down agendas that never had any public support. After gaining control of both houses of Congress and the presidency with the obsequious media and the support of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, higher education, popular culture, entertainment, and professional sports, the left has managed in just 11 months to alienate a majority of voters. The nation has been racked by unprecedented crime and non-enforcement of the borders. Leftist district attorneys either won't either indict criminals or let them out of jail or both. Illegal immigration and inflation are soaring. Deliberate cuts in gas and oil production have helped spike fuel prices. All this bad news is on top of the Afghanistan disaster, worsening racial relations, and the enfeebled president. Democrats are running 10 points behind the Republicans in generic polls, with the midterms less than a year away. Joe Biden's negative run between 50 and 57 percent in Donald Trump's own former underwater territory. Less than a third of the country wants Biden to run for re-election. In many head-to-head polls, Trump now defeats Biden. In other words, leftist elites are terrified that democracy will work too robustly after the Russian collusion hoax. Hoach, uh, hoax, two impeachments, the Hunter Biden laptop series, the staged melodramas of the Kavanaugh hearings, the Jussie Smollett con, the Covington kid smear, and the Rittenhouse trial race frenzy. The people are just not worn out by leftist hysterias, but they're also weary of how the left gains power and administers it. If Joe Biden were polling at 70% approval and his policies at 60%, the current doomsdayers would be reassuring us of the health of the system. They are fearful and angry, not because democracy doesn't work, but because it does, despite their own media and political efforts to warp it. When a party is hijacked by radicals and used almost any means necessary to gain and use power for agendas that few Americans support, uh, then average voters express their disapproval. That reality appears terrifying to an elite if their claims are system, any system that allows people to vote against the left is not power of the people at all. Victor Davis Hanson, what a brilliant column. I hadn't even really thought about that. Why are all these uh, expressions of concern about the loss of democracy coming up? Well, as usual, the left projects onto the right exactly what, they're cons- uh, what they believe, and they're uh, afraid of losing power. They are. And... Uh, Victor Davis had to clarify for that for me, and I hope that's helpful for you as well. 
This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care if they have a need? We are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Taryn Bragdon, the founder and CEO of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Right now, we have with us William Yateman. William is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Uh, William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Uh, you bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O 
dot org. I hope you'll check it out. Thank you, William. So let's uh, continue our conversation about what's happening on Capitol Hill and begin with uh, Build Back Better or Build Back Worse, as some call are <laughs> calling it. <laughs> Maybe you could give us an update. Well, you bet. Um, I'm pleased to report that it was a terrible, no good week for the Build Back Better Act. And just to refresh your your audience's uh, minds on this, it's uh, this is the human infrastructure bill that includes every imaginable progressive wish list under the sun. Mm. It's estimated to cost anywhere from two to four point seven trillion dollars. Um, this week, the bill faced twin challenges. So, on the one hand. Uh, because the Senate Democrats are using this reconciliation process to avoid the filibuster, uh, under the Senate rules, everything in the bill has to be uh, material, has to be related uh, to spending, to spending measures, to the budget. Um, Ultimately, the Senate parliamentarian, that's Elizabeth McDonough, she is the arbiter of the Senate rules, and it's incumbent upon her to decide whether or not a given provision relates sufficiently to the budget. Um, so the, the long and short of it is that this week she nixed from the bill the the third actually proposed Democrat plan to overhaul immigration policy yeah. uh, to provide a pathway for citizenship. Um, so, again, that was the third time that the, the, the Dems have gone to the drawing board three times. I mean, they've been slapped down by the parliamentarian twice before. Um, so that was been, that's been happening not just in immigration policy, but also in the energy uh, components of the bill, sort of across the board. So um, they've been losing consistently before the Senate parliamentarian, which has the result of pairing this bill back, um, especially the policy provision. So that was a big deal. Uh, the other news this week is something we've talked about repeatedly, and that's that Manchin, uh, Senator Manchin uh, from West Virginia dug in his heels. Um, on Monday, he met with President Biden, and he came out of the meeting completely unmoved. Um, it, it, as a result, it sort of engendered a great deal of infighting uh, in the Democratic caucus in the Senate. Um, the, uh, several senators in anonymous quotes to Politico said, accused Biden, or I'm sorry, accused Manchin, in essence, of stabbing the president in the back. Um, <laughs> ultimately, Manchin, and on Wednesday, he screamed at a reporter of expletives. So, uh, again, I'm pleased to say that the uh, interpersonal dynamic of the Democratic caucus is uh, pretty poor right now with respect to this bill for the reasons that we've spoken about at length on prior Fridays. I mean, the centrists just aren't there when it comes to this social spending. So uh, the, at the end of the day, the upshot now is that the bill's prospects are, are at the lowest point uh, at, at, at any time that we've discussed um, You know, over the last few months. They're definitely not going to meet Schumer's Christmas deadline for passing it. I mean, that's out of the question entirely. And it will get punted to 2022. And the longer they wait, um, the less likely uh, it becomes, the the less likely it is this bill becomes law. Um, And and that's notwithstanding, you know, Manchin's seemingly implacable opposition. So good news on that. Good news on that front, too. And I've heard some say that if it's going to be pushed into 2022, it's dead. (laughs) It's just not going to – you can't breathe life into it again. So – Exactly. Yeah, good news indeed. Hey, just on a somewhat related note or unrelated note, uh, this January 6th committee – has uh, not conformed with the requirements for a committee. In other words, they don't have the number of Republicans that were appointed to the committee. So, in other words, doing an end run around uh, true form or proper form for uh, committees. Uh, does the parliamentarian have any say over that, or, or how did that happen? 
Well, so the parliamentarian is a function of the Senate, and that January 6th committee, that's a, a, you know, a function, again, of the House, and, ah. and that's the huge distinction there. So the House is truly a majoritarian body, and uh, that is to say the rules can be changed on the fly if Pelosi has the votes. Ah. The Senate is not that way. A single senator can, can sort of gum up the works if anyone tries to uh, circumvent the rules. Um, so that would be the crucial distinction there, uh, uh, the bicameralism of our Constitution. Yeah, right? thank you for that clarification. So uh, now it looks like the uh, Democrats are pivoting away from Build Back Better, and all of a sudden this voting rights bill, this uh, federalization of voting rights or nationalization of voter rights is uh, taking precedence. Any comments? <laughs> this made no sense to me. Um, so yes, the, the, the Senate Democrats' response to the Build Back Better bill being bogged down was to pivot to you know the so-called Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. um, which makes no sense to me because this voting, you know, putative voting rights stuff. In in actuality, it's uh, uh, taking over um, the state's constitutional prerogatives when it comes to running elections. Um, but that's even more controversial than the deficit spending <laughs> of the uh, the uh, Build Back Better bill. I mean, so I, I was, that didn't make any political sense to me that they would all of a sudden turn to something that is even less likely and more controversial. Um, and, to, and sure enough, uh, within hours of Democrats performing this pivot, and it was led by uh, Elizabeth Warren, um, Bernie Sanders, and that ilk, um, uh, Senator Sinema uh, emphatically said that she has no interest whatsoever in getting rid of the filibuster. So uh, just as soon as they made this pivot, it was effectively slapped down by the other uh, primary centrist in the Senate uh, that mentioned, uh, Senator Sinema. And in spite of all the spending and all the things that they're trying to accomplish right now, uh, McConnell goes along with the Democrats and increases the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion, and that's with a T. That's un- just unbelievable to me. It is. So we discussed the, the political calculus in, in prior Fridays. Um, it, it's... I, McConnell's move to me, uh, I, I, I don't like it. I, I would prefer if Republicans were serious about, about the debt and, and this out-of-control spending. Mm-hmm. But to me, is most, what he did wrong there was after we had exceeded the budget ceiling the prior time and he had made a big deal, he'd drawn a line in the sand saying, we're not going to help you. Um, this is to the, the Democrats in the Senate. He then voted for the deficit spending in the physical infrastructure bill, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that, that passed, uh, you know, signed into law about four weeks ago. So his, uh, as we've noted before, I do agree or I bemoan that McConnell has been all over the place when it comes to the politics of raising the debt ceiling. And ultimately, this week, um, the Senate Democrats, again, facilitated by uh, Senate Minority Leader McConnell, they raised it $2.5 trillion, again, the trillions is a new billion, alas, to $31 trillion, um, which is just astounding. And uh, they will, uh, that, in essence, means that uh, Congress will revisit this issue in 2023. Amazing stuff. William William Yeatman, again, research fellow at the uh, Cato Institute. I hope you'll visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. William, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure indeed. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned. 
Report, or of the Bob Harton Show, here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Gulf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Not only building a 44,000 performing arts center in downtown Naples, it's going to be absolutely exquisite. The money's now raised. They're also bringing you currently professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by and get tickets at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Taryn Bragdon, the president and founder of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So uh, right now we've uh, seeing Omicron coming into our borders, and apparently it's spreading like wildfire throughout the states. Uh, another pandemic of fear setting in. Just wanted to get your thoughts and comments. So the Omicron variant is uh, a recent uh, development. Scientists still don't understand it the way they would like to. They're still collecting data, but at this point, it appears that it does spread a lot faster than the original coronavirus strain or even the Delta variant. Uh, that's the bad news. The good. Uh, the other bad news is that. Uh, that appears to be happening because it spreads among some of the vaccinated as well. Uh, that uh, uh, scientists believe accounts for the rapid spread, even in areas where people have been vaccinated. And uh, 
at the same time, there's not yet evidence that it's uh, that it causes more severe disease than previous variants, previous strains of the coronavirus. And so we've just got a. It appears if that holds up, it appears we've got a faster spreading version of the virus that is still uh, uh, vulnerable to, or that it, that uh, it is uh, that the vaccines can still uh, protect people against the vac- whose spread the vaccines can inhibit. So that is why the FDA and CDC other. Uh, uh, public health officials are recommending that people who haven't vaccinated vaccinate. Uh, the FDA is recommending the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines over Johnson and Johnson. You may have seen. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about why, and that people who already have vaccinated get a booster. I myself have, you know, I, we've talked about this. I had two Moderna shots. I had a breakthrough infection anyway, uh, and uh, right now I'm contemplating getting a booster shot. Um, uh, because mostly because of Omicron. Yeah, you know, uh, again, I just and uh, I'm, I'm not a non-vaxxer, anti-vaxxer at all, but I will not uh, and have not gotten the vaccine so far. Only because, as, as an individual, I'm, you know, my favorite cartoon. I come back to this is two mice talking to each other. Said, you know what? I'm not going to get the get the jab until uh, the human trials are are back and we get the results on that. <laughs> Now, that is funny. <laughs> yeah, so, t- but my point is is only this that I, I'm just pretty skeptical about this whole thing, and, and uh, I, more and more evidence is mounting that the the jabs just don't work. Uh, I don't think that's c- correct. They don't work as well against Omicron as they do against previous strains. That could be because of Omicron itself, uh, or it could be because of the delay between when people got the jabs and uh, when Omicron came on the scene. But it does. The the vaccines do work against Omicron. They don't reduce the risk to zero, but they do reduce the risk. Uh, There are uh, uh, data on weekly death rates in the United States. Well, let me me back up. Uh, And and, and let's look at the uh, lethality of COVID-19 compared to flu and pneumonia. You know, if you're under 15 years old, then you're much more likely to die of uh, flu or pneumonia than you are from COVID-19. Right. Something like uh, twice as likely uh, to die from, from those. So the risk is very small. For people over age 15, particularly people from 45 to 85 years old, you're about 10 times more likely to die from COVID than from influenza or pneumonia. And that's really why people are after the kids. They want to uh, uh, reduce the spread because older people are so much more vulnerable. However, uh, that doesn't mean that there's uh, – even though older people are more vulnerable, they are much less vulnerable if they vaccinate. The yeah. weekly death rates, uh, according to the CDC, the weekly death rates among Americans who have not vaccinated – is right now, uh, or at last count, was about five times that of uh, the death rate among those who had vaccinated. So, uh, and it has been, that, that ratio has been even higher. The death rate among uh, uh, the unvaccinated has peaked at more than 10 times the death rate of those. Yeah, but Michael, how about the whole notion that uh, this appears, at least the evidence in South Africa, is that this is, is bringing on symptoms no more contagious or no more severe than the common cold. And yes, there has been one death reported so far from uh, from this 
uh, strain of the virus, but uh, why would you take a jab and why would you submit yourself to certain risks like blood clots and so forth because of a common cold? So the data out of South Africa are maybe not as applicable to the United States as you might think because South Africa has a much younger population. Mm -hmm. And that might be accounting for the uh, different or or for the the low hospitalization and uh, death rates from Omicron rather than Omicron's lethality. It could be much more lethal here in the United States. And as for risks, you know, there are, the, the, we mentioned that the, the FDA did recommend the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines over the J&J, the Johnson Johnson vaccine, because the J&J vaccine uh, correlates with uh, certain types of blood clots. There has been one, one or more deaths as a result. Uh, scientists believe it was the result. And that is, to my mind, that tells us why we should lower the barriers to entry into the market for vaccines and other uh, pharmaceuticals, because uh, right now we have the luxury of choice. Yeah. And that's what you want when something, uh, when a drug uh, develops or, or exhibits what are concerning uh, and potentially deadly side effects, effects, you want another choice. But often the case it is the case that the FDA keeps so many medicines off the market that it's hard to switch, that maybe they'll let the unsafe one through and it's hard to switch uh, to uh, a medicine the FDA has not let through uh, because maybe the cost of the FDA's approval process has discouraged anyone from investing in discovering uh, a, a safer treatment. Yeah. So, so y- y- those, those risks are there, but there are uh, less risky uh, versions of the vaccine that people can choose. And uh, by all accounts, yeah. The vaccines I, are much less dangerous than getting the disease itself. When the, the FDA says the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has these side effects, they're saying that it is not – they're saying that the, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are safer. They're not saying that COVID-19 is safer. Yeah, understood. Uh, and nevertheless, uh, one size fits all. Everybody get the jab. I mean, this whole thing just makes me very suspicious. I'm very concerned about public health policy at this point. Michael Cannon, again, uh, the Director of Health Studies at the uh, Cato Institute. C-A-T-O.org is the website. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to be here, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Taryn Bragdon. This is a guy that I really admire. Taryn is the founder of a terrific organization. It's called the Foundation for Government Accountability. They're doing great work. We're going to find out about that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for pain management 
Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, and just one of the programs is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us right now, Taryn Bragdon. He is the founder and CEO of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Taryn, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit on uh, what the FGA does. Absolutely. So I started FGA a decade ago, and really based on my experience as an elected official. So 25 years ago, I had the pleasure of serving in the Maine legislature. And, you know, you get elected to office, you work really hard. And then once you get there, you want to do important things. But I found it was really tough to do that by yourself. So I started FGA to be that partner with policymakers to get good reforms done just like the ones you talked about, whether it's getting people back to work or removing barriers so people can get better jobs or entrepreneurs can start a business or trying to make healthcare more affordable to folks. That's what we work on. And we work with state and federal lawmakers to get those policies actually implemented. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such important work and it makes so much sense. But that, you just think about it, a guy, somebody runs for office for the first time, is in the state house, and basically says, now what do I do? <laughs> How do I go about creating legislation? How do I move things forward? What's important? I mean, uh, they may have some strong beliefs, but no direction in terms of uh, how to get things done. And uh, the work is, uh, I've just had an opportunity to participate in national conferences and so forth. It's been so impressive. Uh, uh, now, 
Right now, we're in an environment that is not supportive of the work that the uh, Foundation for Government Accountability does. By the way, after 10 years, uh, having a budget exceeding $12 million a year, which is just so impressive, it just goes to show that people really want to support uh, your work. But we're in this environment right now where we've got uh, $300 checks going out for uh, for parents, uh, for child care, and all kinds of things. How do you deal with that? Well, I think it's important to kind of frame up the problem here. We all recognize that taxes are a problem, and we don't want people to lose so much of their paycheck that they can't support their families. Yeah. But what's happened under Biden and the Democrats in D.C. is so much more than that. They're using the tax structure and the IRS to do exactly what you said, to send checks to people who aren't working at all, aren't paying any taxes at all, up to $300 per month per child. And the problem with this is you're paying people to stay unemployed. And so they don't go to work. uh, They don't... uh, respond to all these help wanted signs we see. And there's this massive ripple effect through the economy with everything with supply chain problems to rising wages uh, for current workers that drive up prices and inflation for everyone else uh, to just, you know, making it uh, difficult to just frequent the businesses, the small businesses in your community that you want to see. And so this is an area where bad policy hurts everyone. But the good news is, the dysfunction in D.C. might be yielding a positive outcome. Those payments to people not working end this month, and because of Manchin and Cinema uh, in the U.S. Senate pushing back, it looks like they're not going to be renewed, and so people will now have a financial incentive to go to work rather than to stay unemployed. That's such good news and uh, great uh uh, f- forecast of what's going forward. But tell us about, that might be a great example to tell us how you actually interact with lawmakers and policymakers in order to influence that outcome. It's a great question. You know, one of the things that is challenging about working in politics is it seems like it's the battle of the tweets, or you have, you know, some tagline on one side and a tagline on the other. What we try to do is just interject facts and information in that conversation. So things that we have done is you know, really quantifying whether it's tax credits, earned income tax credit, increased food stamp payments, uh, increased unemployment payments. What is the combined effect of all of that? So really quantify what's happening at the person level and then showcasing what happens when states move in a different direction, mm-hmm. when they fix policy tracking those people of what happens when you have a good policy enacted, how does that impact everyday Americans going back to work and getting out of poverty? So it's a lot of research, tracking studies, and then meeting directly with lawmakers and giving them this information, uh, state and federal, because you know there's not really a, a lobbyist for the taxpayer or a lobbyist for the small businesswoman or a lobbyist for the entrepreneur. And that's our role is to protect freedom and free markets and to be that voice and to interact with policymakers with that information. That is so smart. And, uh, you know, it's not only the fact that uh, you'll introduce these ideas to legislatures, but you maintain a relationship to give them coaching and direction along the process of uh, until, until a law is passed. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes how you talk about an issue uh, can be challenging. 
you know, for those of us who live in the policy world and uh, live and breathe this every day, we can kind of get stuck with our own jargon mm-hmm. or think that we're more clever than we are. And so some of the things that we do is use polling and focus groups to discover how do real people think about these issues and what arguments are the most compelling and then pass that information along. So we're talking about issues in ways that resonate uh, with everyday Americans. So uh, Taryn, could you give us an example, for example, of polling and how it's helped you to promote uh, certain ideas uh, that are effective in terms of policy? Uh, a great example is an area that we work on in healthcare. Uh, is providing more affordable options for small businesses. So we advance things like uh, nonprofit health plans or association health plans. The mechanics matter less, but what we discovered is these policies can reduce costs for small businesses by 20 and 30%. Hmm. So that means cheaper for employees and cheaper for the business itself. But what we found in polling was this. One of the most compelling arguments wasn't the actual cost savings, but what businesses could do with this cost savings, that now they could reinvest with their employees in vision and dental benefits. And so we talk about it as this is good policy because now you can also provide vision and dental benefits, which people really value. Yeah, so it's uh, it's upping the ante in terms of their employees and, and demonstrating support for their employees in very difficult times right now. How about how about COVID? Uh, have you? Uh, that's been a, a real problem, and of course, we've seen blue states shut down, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and you can go on. What's been your position? And how are you dealing with that? Uh, it's really a great question. So one of the things that we've uh, been doing, particularly during COVID, is we used to do periodic focus groups uh, in person, kind of the classic model. But we've started and greatly increased the number of online focus groups that we conduct. And one of the interesting things is during COVID, unprompted, individuals started talking about the threats on their personal freedom. Uh, and their liberty and how they're really feeling the heavy hand of government in all sorts of ways, like where and if they can go to church, uh, if they can go work at an employer that they've been working at for years, if their kids can actually go to in-person education, you know, all these things that pre-COVID we just took for granted and kind of thought never in America would we be limited in this particular way. Yeah. Now we're seeing it. And even people who you know are really nervous about the impact of COVID are still really concerned about the impact of freedom. Yeah, that is so smart. Taryn Bragdon, again, the president CEO of uh, the Foundation for Government Accountability. The FGA is the website. Nice time to make a year-end contribution. TheFGA.org is the website. Taryn, I wish we had more time. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Peggy Silfon. We're going to be talking about uh, preparing for 2022 and the holidays. She's a personal development coach and productivity strategist. Love having her on at this time of year. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to friends of foster children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have this Peggy Silfant. She is a personal development coach and productivity strategist. Love having her on at this time of year. Peggy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for asking, Bob. Great to be here with you. Always happy a, Friday. Happy Friday and uh, happy holidays, by the way, uh, which yes. which I, I want to ask you about a new program that you're promoting. But before I do, uh, the holidays many times uh, create uh, some very positive expectations, but some emotional turmoil as well. I wonder if you have any suggestions for our listeners. That's a great question. It is a very emotional time for a lot of people, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of old stories that people live with, and it's time to change that. And especially after the years, 18 months that we've been through, it's really time to let go of the old and embrace the new, and especially in terms of just uh, rituals that you want to do. Try some new things and really start by consciously setting aside time for yourself. And that's really the most important. We rush around like crazy people this time of year. We're afraid to say no to any invitations. And it's really important to take care of yourself and really take time to refresh, renew, reset, and really kind of affirm how you want to show up in the last few weeks of 2021 and also to really get ready for 2022. Actually, have a series of greeting cards that I created with affirmations that really help you instill these positive statements for yourself. And that can really just help change your mindset. 
Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So it starts with basically talking to yourself and figuring out how you want the year to go and making some positive affirmations about that before moving forward with your friends and family. Well, the key thing is that we don't pay attention to a lot of thoughts we have. And honestly, in one hour, we have over 2,000 thoughts, and a lot of them are negative. Mm -hmm. That's how we're wired, because that's our survival mechanism. So it's time to start paying attention to your thoughts. And when you start seeing, oh, I'm no good, I can't manage this, I can't handle this, uh, this is going to be terrible, stop. Change that thought. You have the power to change it. And when you do, your whole body changes. It's like you talk to your cells and they come alive and they are more balanced and healthier. So really important. Also important to really eat well and not just all the junk. You know, we get a lot of sweets, a lot of sugars this time of year. So balance that out. Make sure that you're eating some nutritious, dense foods uh, that really fuel you rather than fooling your body. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, by the way, you've got a new program coming out at the first of the year. Maybe you could tell us about it. I'm really excited about it. It's called Mind Body Fitness for Life. And the first program is a 14-day program to really help you groove better, healthier habits, lose some weight. And I'm actually doing it in conjunction with My Life Well, which is the world's first all-in-one wellness app. And it's going to be unbelievable. And it's kind of like having day-by-day -day personal coaching. So it'll um, be available starting. Uh, our first launch is going to be January 17th. So you can start looking forward to that and uh, go to mindbodyfitnessforlife.com and it'll give you some of the initial information. So I'm really excited to be able to offer that. I think so many of us just need some guidance. We get overwhelmed by the choices. Mm -hmm. And this helps you day by day in less than an hour get on the right path. Mindbodyfitnessforlife.com. All one word, mindbodyfitnessforlife.com. So Peggy, maybe you can give us a sneak peek into going forward because uh, 2022 is coming up and many of us start with New Year's resolutions and of course uh, it's historic that they, they end up in the ash heap after about a month. Uh, any thoughts and recommendations? For sure. I agree with that. I don't recommend resolutions. I actually recommend developing intentions, which are kind of the, the uh, guiding light for your life. So developing uh, really an understanding of how you want to show up in 2022, what you want to have. I actually have some questions you can just ask yourself and sort of retrospectively look back at 2021 and look at, well, what was the best decision you made? What made you the happiness? happiest and then build on that for 2022 so that you can bring more joy in your life. And also, you know, learning is really important, growing, uh, having a growth mindset. So what do you want to learn in the next 12 months, you know, and what maybe is a big risk you'd like to take in 2022? Um, also remembering and recognizing people who've really made a big impact on your life. And so look at maybe three people who've really had the most impact and just feel grateful that they've touched you and why they've touched you. And so it's a good time to take stock, but also to really prepare for what's to come. I might suggest also not only having those thoughts, but also telling them, hey, I appreciate you and here's why, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Write them a note, send them an email, send them a text, let them know you're thinking about them. I think too often we don't do that. And it's so important to reach out. In fact, the science of happiness tells us that by talking out those gratefulness moments with others helps you feel happier. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing to do. Do you draw a distinction between goals 
and intentions. I mean, I think the the whole notion of having proper intentions and, and defined intentions is good. But how about goals? Goals are good for short term to accomplish things in a short term. But a lot of times, like, for instance, with weight loss, someone might say, oh, you know, I have a wedding to go to in uh, 12 weeks. I want to learn, lose 15 pounds in 12 weeks. Well, they've set that goal and then they don't accomplish it. Then they feel depressed and upset with themselves and angry and self-deprecating and all of those things. So better to set intentions. I'd rather be on a path of eating healthier, eating the right things, making better choices. Mm -hmm. So again, goals can have certainly a part in your development, but intentions are more long-term, are something you really want so that you get beyond January instead of having that, as we talked earlier, that resolution. And it goes by the wayside within a week yeah. of, you know, January. And that makes so much sense to me. My experience is that when we're uh, setting goals is that if you try to do, most people sit down and say, okay, I'm going to change my life entirely, lose weight, start to exercise, get a better job. You just go down the list and it's it's just overwhelming. You just can't possibly. In fact, I think I read someplace that we can only change about 5% of our to- uh, of ourselves over the period of time. So biting off too much is a, is a problem. Well, and I don't recommend that. That's why I'm doing this Mind Body Fitness for Life program, because it really gives you in less than an hour a day opportunities to develop just healthier ways of doing things. And as you start grooving that, as you start creating those better habits, it becomes easier. So it's not, I agree with you, people feel overwhelmed and then they end up in inertia. They don't do anything because, oh, it's too much to do. It's just, you know, too many choices. So if you simplify and you just take one thing at a time Mm -hmm. and, you know, reward yourself for that one step, and if you don't do something that you've, you know, determined that you want to do, don't beat yourself up about it. Start again. You know, there's an old Japanese expression, fall down eight times, get up nine times. Yeah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, here's a website, PeggySilfon.com, P-E-G-G-Y-S-E-A-L-F-O-N.com is the website. Also, take a look at Mastering body, uh, Mind Body Fitness for Life, MindBodyFitnessForLife.com is the website for Mastering your mind, mastering your body. Uh, Peggy, always appreciate your commentary and very timely commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Bob. Always a joy to be with you. Have a wonderful holiday and a very happy, healthy New Year. You as well. Thank you so much, Peggy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Um, on Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Always look forward to those conversations about up to the moment Uh, information about global events and what's happening around the globe. Bob Rommel is our state representative. I look forward to visit with Bob as well. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. BobHarden at Hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast and great weekend as well, or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. Bob Harden. Dot com.